Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. A Big 12 bloodbath in week number one of the college football season. I am Josh Neighbors. This is the Neighborhood Watch on Crystal Ball College Football, part of the 365 Sports Network. Make sure you guys subscribe to the channel. Like the videos, leave your comments as well. Also, find us wherever you guys get your podcasts. If you cannot watch the show, give us a five-star review. Uh, and also leave us a review. At NWPod365 is where you find us on Twitter. Also, at uh, Josh Neighbors underscore on Twitter slash X. Um, and then we have our CBS Sports pick starting next week, so I'll have links for that. But let's not waste a lot of time because we have a lot to get to. So, week one. Bloodbath for the Big 12, particularly Texas schools, the hateful eight, the remaining eight Big 12 schools uh, in the new Big 12 next year were four and four on the day yesterday. That was, uh, you know, losses from West Virginia, losses from TCU, losses from Baylor and loss from Texas State or Texas Tech, excuse me. Uh, this overall was a bad day for the big 12. There's no other way to spin it. Your team personally might not have won, but even thinking about like the hateful eight schools, I mean, BYU did not look particularly good in their 14, nothing win. uh, Oklahoma state even has more of a quarterback controversy after their win over UCA three quarterbacks played in that game against central Arkansas. Uh, you know, you also had Iowa state, which 39 win they got, I mean, the win was fine, but they got outgained and they had more bad news along the way in terms of the gambling investigation. Even Kansas was 48-17, but they scored, they outscored Missouri State by 14 points in the fourth quarter to make that game look, you know, as it as it did. I mean, it was 17-10 at halftime. So I mean they were not like lighting the world on fire in that game as well. So um yeah, I mean I, I would just say like generally speaking it was a difficult week. And um I think we knew that like this league overall has been really competitive and I think it will be competitive this year, but I do think the, I, I am curious to see if middle-class teams step up, like do tech and Baylor make the jump towards the top of the league? Or is that pecking order of, because Oklahoma schedule was so easy. We knew that coming in, but Oklahoma, Texas and Kansas state, you know, they, they were convincingly the three best teams this weekend. 
Um, I don't think there was much debate about that. I, I think, you know, watching all the games, whatnot, and I didn't see everything of every game. I watched highlights of at least all of them. But, you know, like what we know about the schools heading into the year match with week one performances, those three schools, you know, I, I know UCF blew out Kent State. I knew that uh, Cincinnati blew out Eastern Kentucky. But I mean, out, you know, like in context of what we know about the certain rosters and the games they played, you know, I, I think I feel the best about those three teams, which I think we all kind of did once the season rolled along. We thought about, hey, schedule and whatnot. I know some folks like Tech, I know some folks like TCU. I liked Baylor personally. All those schools faltered this weekend. And that's bad because those were three schools that like if we think about a TCU type run, who would make one? Those were those three schools were all ones that I thought of that were like kind of in the TCU zone. Right. Baylor and TCU have made big runs like that before. Baylor recently won a Big 12 championship. TC went to the CFP and won a game last year. Texas Tech was hyped up before this season and all of them, all of them had really rough days. So let's let's get into it. Uh, Colorado takes out TCU. This was the big one. The story of this game, plain and simple, was that Deion Sanders, Sean Lewis, and uh, I'm getting the uh, Charles Kelly outcoached Sonny Dykes, Joe Gillespie, and Kendall Bryles. This was a masterful coaching job. Deion Sanders' team was much more prepared than TCU was. TCU hit some explosive plays. They moved the ball down the field, but in an old school Big 12, both teams running veer and shoot game, it was the adjustments that Colorado made. In especially, I think in the first half, they knew that TCU would give them stuff underneath. They took it. And then the second half, they started to hit some, some more big plays as TCU tried to make a couple adjustments. Um, the chess match completely went. Colorado's way and I, you might say well how is that true I mean, yeah they gave us some big plays but they won one game last year so they went on the road and beat a team that was one half of the national championship game last season Shador Sanders in a breakout perform I mean you know, I think most people knew who he was obviously Deion Sun but you know making a name for himself in this game tearing TCU up incredibly efficient 38 of 47 510 it's you know 10.9 per uh per pass four TDs. The rushing game for them really was not there. TC did a good job bottling up the rushing attack, but they could not stop anything in the passing game at all. Four separate Colorado receivers go over a hundred yards. Dylan Edwards, who is actually a running back, has three scores on five catches for 135. Travis Hunter, 11 for 119. He's a story in this game. But yeah, I mean, I think Dion. Like, I think Dion knows how much attention will be on this team in the beginning of the season. And so I think that's why he is, you know, he was, he was, he wanted to make the statements there. Like, some teams get better as the season goes along. I think this group will not be the case, right? Like, Kansas last year, I don't think Kansas got worse necessarily. But when you think about roster overhauls and when coaches have to rebuild things, and I know Lance Leipold and, and Deion Sanders don't do things the same way, but think about how good Kansas was in the first part of last season and think about how bad they were in the second half of last season. They were not uncompetitive, but the problem for them was the depth and the defense was not there. We're already seeing game one. The defense is not there for Colorado, but even though Kansas has the issues, think about that West Virginia game, massive pick six, the playmaking was there bend and they broke a few times, but when it mattered most, they didn't break, especially on that final drive, they applied some pressure. They made Morris make some tough decisions. He made some bad decisions earlier in the game too. 
And so I think that I almost, it's weird comp, but really good quarterback, uh, you know, good, really awesome skill player, good defensive playmakers. Think about Lonnie Phelps in the defensive line. Think about Jacoby Bryant in the secondary uh, and Kenny Logan in the secondary as well, right? So good secondary players, playmakers that can apply some pressure. And then a quarterback who can make a lot of plays and kind of runs an offense that can do some things, you know, like uh, the Kansas offense can be a bit slow, but they, they're able to control the clock. They're, th- you know, showing some different run looks at you and attacking. And so I think that is what Colorado is most likely destined to do is have a hot start and then slow down just because like you think about Travis Hunter and what a unbelievable player he is and what a monster game. And people are talking about, Oh, Eisman guys, you can't play 110 snaps a game. And if he is, um, I want whatever medication he is taking. I would like whatever workout he is using. I want whatever diet he is taking because that is unsustainable. Now, I'm not saying that Colorado won't be good, but just think like when you overhaul a roster and we saw defensive weaknesses, uh, it's it's rightful to think like as you go along, you probably can't sustain this. Now, there are bad teams in that league, and I'm not saying they're going to mirror Kansas last year where Kansas goes five and one in the start of the season and then goes one and five in the back, the back six games. Also, they had the injury as well, but think about it like this, you know, they might have some depth in some certain spots, but Jason Bean was not Jalen Daniels all the way. He is a good player, but he is not as laterally quick as Jalen Daniels. He can't make those moves in space like Jalen Daniels. And sometimes that did affect their team's results. Now there's some staggering offensive moments. Most of the defense, you know, it wasn't there for them, but if, what if a Shador Sanders goes down? What if a, uh, you know, what if Travis Hunter goes down? What if Dylan Edwards goes down, right? What if somebody in the offensive line, which already, you know, you're kind of wondering about how good that offensive line is, goes down. And also, I think they, you know, they mitigated that too. I mean, TCU's front was not good, but they did a very good job mitigating that with, I think, quick passes and, and just getting the ball out in space and letting guys make plays. Uh, and once again, I cannot say enough about the game plan from them. It was fantastic. On on the TCU side of things, um, so Chandler Morris is a downgrade from Max Duggan and Kendall Bryles is a downgrade from Garrett Riley. Maybe not in like a massive, gigantic, unbelievably uh, terrible way. So I, I don't know if that's necessarily the case. Maybe it's, I don't think it's like a you know nuclear disaster type way of difference, but it's, it's noticeable. And uh, you know, the TCU, like they, Amani Bailey had a good game yesterday, but you know, they, they, uh, and they ran the football at 7.1 yards per carry, right? But like, if you're doing that, why is Chandler Morris throwing the ball 42 times, right? So why, and he's 20, 24 of 42. And Max Duggan was inefficient too at, at times, but why was he 24 of 42, 279, two scores and two picks? Like if you're having that much success on the ground, you most likely should keep it on the ground. Um, their offensive line struggled at times, especially in the second half. Some of the protection wasn't great. Chandler Morris' decision-making was bad. Uh, interceptions towards the red zone, right? I mean, it, it just was, it was an old school Big 12 game. Both teams ran the veer and shoot. You felt like whatever team had the ball last could win, but no, it was the defense that bowed up that got the win. Colorado's defense did that. They got the necessary stops. They were explosive on offense and really just every single time it looked like they might slow down, they hit an explosive play and they or they extended a drive. And I was listening to the Cover 3 podcast talk about this. They were in like they were not in long down in distances. They were they were fantastic and they converted some big third downs, but they generally speaking did not find themselves in long down and distance. I forgot what the actual stat is. 
uh, but like their conversion, I mean, they were like at 70%, like 70% of the time they were not in long down and, uh, you know, down in distance. So they did a good job of staying ahead of the chains. Uh, Sunny Dykes group has a whole lot to look at a whole lot to look at on the Colorado side. I want to do one more note because now Dion's got this nuclear heat and this is great for the big 12. If he can maintain like, you know, I'm not saying they have to go. I mean, they go six and six, a massive, massive win for him and that program this season. If they can go six and six, um, I'm not saying they will, but like he's got all this heat behind him. And next week's Nebraska game is actually a game. I think they can win. It's an exciting contest. They got Colorado state after that. Then they've got Oregon and Washington, or Oregon and USC back to back. But with Deion Sanders, um, I, you know, I love how like unapologetically him he is. It is great. I don't know if going after the media is the right thing. And I, I think a lot of people disagree with this, but here, here is my, hear me out and we can disagree. I don't know if going after the media is the right thing to do because and I think it was Ed Warder he went after. So like media, if you've ever been in the college football media space, you kind of see there's local TV, there's local reporters from uh, newspapers, there's radio folks, there's all kinds of people in these, in these ecosystems. And with him, there's a bit more national attention. But the media, in a lot of cases, are, are responsible for being a conduit between the fans and uh, the, the team. And they, they write stories. They talk about you know, certain aspects, whether it be certain coaches, whether it be uh, you know, the other day in the Arkansas Democrat Gazette, we had an article about Travis Williams' all-black coaching staff on the defensive side of the ball for Arkansas. That is a significant positive story. If you're picking fights with the media, the media story is going to be more about like the clashing of heads or maybe exploiting, exploiting more in your losses and talking you, about you more negatively when you lose. So I don't know if picking fights is the right thing to do because like Nick Saban can do it. He has got so much respect and equity built up. Deion Sanders has won a no. He has won one game as a power five head coach. And I think he's going to win a whole lot more, but I would rather be in the good graces because he's not, it doesn't appear that he's stopping. I mean, I remember he was antagonizing people last year who was like, you wouldn't call Nick Saban, Nick, you call me coach prime, which is just completely false. That is, that is not true. And once again, I like Deion Sanders. He is good for college football. He will be good for the Big 12, which is a conference I cover, which is good. I, that is a positive thing. But you have to think about like, like who you are. It's you. Okay. But what situation is your team in? Are you going to be getting positive press all the time? A lot of the time, if, you know, and I'm not sure their roster is the point where they're, they're going to be winning, you know, 10, 11 games like Nick Saban's roster does. Uh, are you in a spot where you should be antagonizing folks? And it, this was Ed Warder. This wasn't like some student newspaper, which is, is terrible when uh, folks like Jim Beheim do that. But I just don't think Deion Sanders antagonizing the media one game in is the way to go. Uh, that's that's just me. You might be saying, oh, Josh, you're soft. Uh, sure, whatever. But like, I'm just thinking of the, you know, the media tell stories. You all, folks out here, I know have subscriptions to this channel or some of you guys have 24-7 for your certain team. The insight that those writers give is important. The stories that are written in newspapers about certain players and coaches and their backgrounds, a lot of those are positive and they tell a positive story and I think we're all better for them. But that kind of positive press is what you want. And I don't think you, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you do get just as much, but I don't know if you're going to get as much of it if you versus the media is the story or just you as the coach are the story, right? I don't know if that's the most positive. I could be wrong. There might be folks, there are definitely folks in the media industry who don't, uh, who don't agree with me, all right? But I just don't know if you 
if you pot shotting a respected guy like Ed Warder is the best thing to do and be like, next question. So that's just me. That's just my thoughts on it. Um, and once again, like I'd prefer him to be this way than not be this way. But I, I think there can still be things I don't like about it. And you can say, Josh, you're an idiot. You're a loser. You're soft. Sure. I'm just thinking about like if things go sideways and you want some allies and you want some positive stories and you want to be able to spin some stuff, if you aren't making friends in the room, and I'm not saying everybody needs to write positive stuff about him, but like if you aren't trying to maintain strong relationships, you know, you could have said, hey, look, I think there were a lot of doubters in this room yesterday. And I think we proved a lot of folks wrong. And our goal is to keep proving folks wrong. You know, I, I told you we were coming. But that's not him. That's not him, I guess. So I don't know if this come back to, comes back to bite him. Um, you know, I'm not saying he needs to be more, you know, I don't, I don't know if it's a humility thing. Like he can be out there, but like, I don't know if you need to take shots at other people uh, in doing so. So I don't know. Uh, and not, not saying it rubbed me. The, I'm just thinking, I'm thinking about down the line. Like, how does this look? Like, can you sustain that much like their play? Can they sustain that? I'm kind of curious about that. All right. Baylor gets run by Texas state. This gets us to the second part of the Texas schools. TCU was a 20.5, 20 and a half point favorite. Texas, uh, Baylor was a 27 and a half point favorite. Texas tech was a, uh, they were a 14 point favorite. The hateful eight Texas schools had a bad day. It continued with Baylor. Baylor got pushed around up front by a Texas state team that just had all the answers in this game. And they had all the answers courtesy, weirdly enough, of a guy like TJ Finley, former Auburn quarterback, who beat out Malik Hornsby, former Arkansas uh, quarterback, DJ Kenny with a roster full of transfers. I believe they had second most transfers of any team in the entire country. All right. TJ Finley was 22 of 30 for 298 and three scores. Baylor's secondary got thrashed in this game. They did not win at the line of scrimmage in this game, which I thought was uh, very surprising. Uh, Texas State had three sacks and 10, 10 tackles for loss in this game. They were pressuring Baylor. They were getting in the backfield. Baylor could not establish the running game. They ran for 3.4 yards per carry, uh, which was not that good. Blake Shapin ended up leaving the game. Sawyer Robinson came in 6 for 12, 113, and interception. Uh, this just did not go the way Baylor needed it to. And I know Dave Aranda – uh, won the, you know, as the head coach of the 2021 Big 12 champion Baylor Bears, but it feels like we are a far way away from that. The secondary play is not good enough. And at the lines of scrimmage, especially on their offensive, their offensive line got beat up yesterday. The offensive line took it on the chin. That was not a good enough performance. I think they've, I actually think the receiver room is like pretty good. And I don't think Blake Shapin looked terrible. And I think Blake Shapin should be the quarterback because he has got more experience. I think he gives them a better chance to win. I do. Um, I know folks may not feel the same way, but I feel like Blake Shapin still gives them a better chance to win. It just feels like the offense and defense were not clicking in sync yesterday. It feels like at times they got stops needed to get stops. Like, you know, they'd get one, but the offense would not respond. Right. So they forced a fumble. And then, you know, early on in the game, it was seven to three and they got a field goal out of it. And they immediately allowed a touchdown Then they punted and got a touchdown. So when they punted when it was, uh, you know, it was 14 to six at that point. And then Texas state scores a touchdown. Baylor responded. So it's like, oh, okay, they're punching back. Well, the defense couldn't hold next time. Then the offense got the ball back and they missed a field goal. So the halftime was 28 13. So they were just not able to string a good offense and defense together. 
They had a 64 yard drive towards the end there that ended in an interception. Uh, you know, that's the drive where I think Blake Shapin goes down. Right. So that's the job where the driver Sawyer Robinson uh, Robertson comes in. So this team's got a lot of questions. It's good. We're going to see the MRI on Blake Shapin. So maybe, I mean, you know, maybe Sawyer Robertson takes the job and, and never looks back. Maybe that's what this situation is bound for, but at least right now, Credit Texas State, man, but Baylor is just not in sync. They just cannot get – and this, this is how it felt last year. You know, I, I didn't feel like yesterday that the team was at their best when the ball was out of Blake Shapin's hands. I didn't think that was true. I thought last year that was true. So, like, they just need to find what their identity is. They need to be able to finish drives. They need to convert on special teams. And their defense just has to be better. they got to apply a bit more pressure. they got to be able to – I mean, yesterday they ended up having three – tackles for loss in this game uh six tfls but just one sack right and i know tj finley can move a little bit but yeah that that kind of team with that many transfers should not be beating you up like that um i just i just i just can't happen and so baylor is off on the wrong foot and they go home next week and they play utah and that is a team that will kick teams ass up front but the thing about baylor is they have had moments where one week yikes the next week, they start pushing somebody around you didn't expect. And the next week, they're back to it again. So they are hit or miss. We'll see if that trend continues. I'm very curious about the Baylor Bears because I had high hopes for them. But a lot of folks are asking questions of Dave Aranda. Still have faith in him, but that was my dark horse team to go to the Big 12 title. Tough start. Now, this has no impact on that. And speaking of no impact on that, Texas Tech falls in Laramie. We have a lightning delay. Texas Tech comes out and takes a 17 to nothing lead. And then slowly but surely, Greg Bowles, uh, you know, his team just climbs back into the contest. One stop at a time, one score at a time. And by halftime, we had ourselves a game. After the game was over, uh, Austin Peasley, the quarterback, Andrew, excuse me, Andrew Peasley, who was 18 to 34 for 149, two scores, ran for 68 yards and a score as well said, if we, if we drug them into the deep water, we liked our chances, right? That has been true of Texas Tech on the road the last, last year, at least. I'm not going to lump in any past performances into that outside of McGuire. I'm just going to assess him. Guys, last year, Texas Tech won two games away from Lubbock, all right? So last season... They won against uh, and they they lost against NC State in the road. That's a tough game in the 27-14. So it wasn't that bad. They lost by nine to Kansas State. The game was close late, and Kansas State stretched it out. They lost by ten at Oklahoma State. They lost by a lot of home with Baylor, which is different. But then they had the game they hung tough with with TCU, but going for it on fourth down a million times killed them. At Iowa State, they win, but Iowa State had given up at that point of the season. It was fourteen to ten to Iowa State, and they beat Ole Miss in the bowl game. This team, if they want to take that jump, needs to be able to do three things. They got to keep the quarterback healthy. They need to improve their defense. And they need to be able to win on the road and just and just resolve. The issue for them was they had too many drives in this game that they, they I mean, their kicker was two for five. And I felt really bad in this game for, you know, uh, for Gino Garcia, who actually is a pretty good kicker. He hit him 54, right? And he nuked the last one that tied the game. You just tell he just kind of took his frustration out. But they need to convert on special teams. And uh, their defense just got pushed around late in this game. As the game went along, 
the drives for Wyoming, like after they just kind of got out of their own way, because I mean, Texas Tech defense at the beginning was great. They forced a two yard drive and a punt, a one play drive and a fumble, a three play drive and a punt, a five play drive and a fumble. Then they had a nine play drive and then they got better and better. Nine plays, 37 yards, field goal. Uh, five plays, 56 yards, touchdown. They did force another, another punt, but then was another 35 yard drive, a 76 yard drive, a 65 yard drive. I mean, the drive started getting longer. Wyoming settled into the game. They started getting more of a push up front. And Texas Tech was not able to stretch the lead out and get away from them. Wyoming did take a 20 to 17 lead. And then it was Texas Tech trying to play catch up the rest of the way. Uh, and then in overtime, you know, it's it's a crapshoot when you get in the games like that, just because, you know, you're all right, like you got to convert in short situations, but then it comes down to Texas Tech gets a two point or uh, does not get their two point conversion, and Wyoming does. And this is not the first team to go to Laramie and lose. Uh, Missouri did this a couple of years ago. It, they can recover. Their goal is to win a Big 12 championship this year. The, they might lose to Oregon next week, and they, it might be a close game. Texas Tech could still be good. What matters for them making a Big 12 championship is going to be September 23rd when they play West Virginia. That is a team that they should beat. They should beat a West Virginia team that has been depleted. Uh, oh, depleted. I mean, the roster's not as good as it was. All right. They still actually didn't look terrible against Penn State. They should be able to win that contest. But they have been so bad on the road that do we trust them to do it? And I want to see next week against Oregon. Can they, will they get handled up front? Can they turn this thing around up front? Because they, they look good at certain times. Also, to shout out Peasley, you know, they have them fourth down there and on that touchdown at the end of the game when it came down to it. Uh, it was a, let's see, it was the, when was that last touchdown they scored? Um, on the fourth down conversion, what was this? Uh, the fourth down conversion they had where Peasley saw the guy coming up the middle. Right, yeah, yeah. So it was the last drive of the game they scored a touchdown in overtime. Fourth and seven, Peasley stands in there. Demerson comes up the middle on a blitz, and Peasley sees it and just dumps it off right immediately down the middle. It was a great pickup. It was a, it was a risk by Tim DeRuiter, and they emptied out the middle, and, and Peasley did a good job finding the man and, and, and getting through there. And Wyoming's a decent football team, guys. They look they look actually like pretty decent. Um, but but Texas Tech they had better players across the board. Jerron Jerron Bradley looks like a dude. I actually thought Tyler Shuck played pretty well for the most part. A couple misses, but he's he's having to throw the ball all over the place, and you know it's, it's hard when you're throwing the ball that much um, to, to be accurate all the freaking time. I thought he thought he played mostly pretty well, but man, that result it just kind of puts a damper on the season with Oregon coming to town next week. That that, that at Wyoming it kind of came at like the worst possible time. But Tech needed to put their foot down, and they didn't. Let's get to a positive result. Houston edges UTSA. My favorite bet in the over-under win totals this year was Houston over four and a half wins. That was contingent on Houston winning this game. This was so important for Houston if they want to have a successful season to get off on the right foot. This is a team that will not leave the state of Texas until the 28th of October. They now play at Rice. They've got TCU and they've got Sam Houston coming up. There's a very real possibility that they could end this month four and O and Dana Holgerson be feeling pretty good. Doug Belk and his defense were the story in this game. A really awesome third quarter when their offense could not score. It felt like just they couldn't, they couldn't put everything together. 
uh, you know, and, and, and later in the third quarter, they end up, they end up scoring, but they forced three consecutive interceptions from a UTS UTSA team led by Frank Harris, uh, who is, we know a very, uh, really good player, but a 62 yard drive that ends in an interception. They immediately picked him off the next time. And the next two plays, they got an interception. Now here's the problem. They got, they went punt downs and they scored a touchdown. They got seven points out of it, which is ultimately why this game ends up being so close. Um, and actually in great drive at the end, they get the offense they need to, but this defense was fantastic. They did allow 417 yards, but still, I like the way they bend and they did not break. They forced, uh, you know, three turnovers. They won that battle. They were the less penalized team as well in this game. And so while the offense has a long way to go, they forced uh, uh, UTSA into four of 13 on third down. That's a very good job from them. They really did limit that passing game, which is the real strength. Cephas had a nice day, but I thought the coverage, generally speaking, was pretty good. And Joshua Cephas is a really good wide receiver. So Houston, if you want to tell me which team had the biggest result of week number one in the Big 12, without a doubt, the Houston Cougars win over UTSA is the most meaningful victory that we had because it gets it gets them on solid footing. And uh, if you're talking about danger zone, coaches most likely to not make it out of this season. Uh, you know, we circle Neil Brown as number one. I've said basically he's lost so many games that the seat isn't even hot anymore. It's just a foregone conclusion. He's going to be fired. He needs something really well to, to, to stop that. So we're talking about legit hot seat. It's Daniel Holgerson. And this is a massive, massive step because I really respect Jeff Trailer. And I said that he had the coaching edge. Doug Belk pitched a fantastic, fantastic, uh, fantastic game. Not a shutout, but it felt like one almost in some ways. The rest of the league. All right. Uh, let's go now in chronological order from when these games actually occurred. Uh, real quickly, UCF just blows the doors off of Kent State. Three touchdowns, two interceptions for John Rice Plumley. I don't know how good Kent State is. They don't look very good at all. So take what you will from that contest. Kansas eventually gets by Missouri State. It was slow burn, but they ended up blowing them out 48-17 on Friday night. The bad news, Jalen Daniels' back injury, it's back. And that's really upsetting. Uh, I love Jalen Daniels. We love Jalen Daniels. He is a fantastic player. Jason Bean, really good too. I am glad they retained him. And maybe this is why, because I know, hey, his back is not in good shape. Uh, you know, and, and I know we heard about it last year too. So uh, let's hope we can get him healthy and get him back. Maybe they're just holding him out precautionary-wise for next week. Illinois, we know they got a solid defense. Uh, big Friday night game coming up there, but we'll see there. 38-15, Penn State gets by, not gets by, they handle West Virginia. I want to say this about West Virginia. They did not quit in this game. They fought the entire way. A late score makes it look like it's at a three-score game. It was really a two-score game, and it was kind of in that range the entire time. Uh, Drew Auer is a is a man out there. Uh, 21 of 29 for 325 and three scores. He was very good. The run game wasn't terrible for West Virginia. Uh, Donaldson, 18 for 81 in the score. Garrett Green was good on the ground as well, too. But Penn State is just too big up front. They had three sacks, six TFLs in this game. And, um, you know, just they're they're a bit different. They pushed West Virginia around a little bit. Thought West Virginia hung in there. Once again, I want to give them some credit. They got 478 yards of offense in the passing game, did dice them up, but they did hang in there. Um, and, you know, uh, Penn State just played a really solid, clean game. Um, besides their third down efficiency, they played a very solid, clean game in this game. And, and that's why they won. So, um, you know, it wasn't 56 10, 
Penn State covered, but like they really, you know, West Virginia actually should have covered the spread. I still have questions about the offense. Still not sure it can be dynamic and explosive. So that's where my concerns lay with that team, uh, West Virginia, in this one. All right, other results. Texas, slow start, but strong finish as they take out Rice 37-10. to 10. Uh, Kansas State, it feels like it's Kansas State, TC, or excuse me, Kansas State, Texas, and Oklahoma. Uh, just, you know, once again, preseason roster expectations. Kansas State 45, SEMO nothing, not a whole lot to do there. Oklahoma 73, Arkansas State 0. Butch Jones was crying. Jackson Arnold looked good. Iowa State got bad news before the day. An offensive lineman out. They got outgained by Northern Iowa. They still won by 21 points, 30 to 9. Iowa State gets the win. Uh, so good for them for getting that done. Emory Jones throws for five, runs for two, as Cincinnati beats Eastern Kentucky 66-13. So shout out to them there. Not sure how much that will tell us. Oklahoma State 27. Central Arkansas, 13. So Mike Gundy told us he was going to play more than one quarterback, folks. Um, Garrett Rangel started 10 for 15, 118, a touchdown in the INT. Gunnar Gundy was 7 of 9 for 106. Alan Bowman was 13 of 24 for 80 yards. Gunnar Gundy came into this game when it was a 13 to 7 game in the second half. They have now added one more quarterback to the fray. They do not know who their best quarterback is. They were not particularly excellent running the football last night. That might be what they need to do. I am worried about Oklahoma State. Okay, that's what we'll say about that game. Maybe they rally next week. I do think it's a good contest for them to have against a team like an ASU because they're not an excellent Power 5 team either. BYU 14 uh, South, uh, excuse me, Sam Houston State, Sam Houston Bearcats, uh, zero. This was not a good game. Uh, there weren't many highlights of this game. LJ Martin, 16 for 191 was the big story. Keaton Slovis was 20 of 33 for 145. 4.4 yards uh, per pass on that, or per completion rather. Yeah, I mean, they forced three interceptions. That was like the big story of this game. They forced three picks. It was not an impressive offensive output. Uh, I was not super impressed in this game, but uh, I'm worried about the BYU offense. Defense, kudos to you. All right, that will do it for this edition of the Neighborhood Watch. There's a whole lot to get to from this week. I will be breaking it down further as the week goes along. Like the video, subscribe to the channel, find us at uh, Josh Neighbors underscore at NWPod365. Bread truck picks were back three and two week. So we started off on a high note. I'm glad that we did. All right, uh, we will see you all tomorrow.